What do you believe in? How much do you believe in it? Do you have faith? Do you think it's possible for someone to have so much faith that the divine would mark them, make them bleed from their hands and feet as a reward for their devoutness? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor and a pretty firm agnostic. I'm pretty sure Jesus doesn't go around inflicting his followers with the wounds he suffered on the cross. Then again, I'm not the only begotten son of God, so what the hell do I know? This week, stigmata. The blessed miracle, religious hoax, or the result of an impressionable mind. On September 14th, in the year 1224, an Italian friar on a religious retreat asked God how he could better please him. Each time he asked, the friar opened his Bible, believing God would answer his question by directing him to a specific passage. And each time he asked, he opened the Bible to the crucifixion of Christ. God apparently really likes to hear about that one time he let his son be tortured to death. Ooh, read the part about the crown of thorns again. I love that bit. As the friar prayed about Jesus dying on the cross, he had a vision of an angel whose hands and feet were fastened to a cross. When the vision passed, the friar realized he now had what looked like nail marks through his hands and feet and a wound in his side that was bleeding. This is the first recorded instance of someone receiving stigmata, short for stigmata for you. I'm so sorry, or spontaneous wounds or pain in the same spots on the body where Jesus was wounded during the crucifixion. Apparently, it's also sometimes accompanied by religious ecstasy, which, as far as I can tell, is the Catholic version of a deep meditative state. The friar who received the marks of Christ on his religious retreat was Giovanni di Pietro di Bernardone. After Bernardone's death two years later, he was canonized by the Pope and became St. Francis of Assisi. There have been a few hundred cases of stigmata recorded from all over the world in the centuries that followed St. Francis's experience. Most people who claim to have received the stigmata have been Catholic. And when I say Catholic, I don't mean they go to church on Sunday and occasionally go to confession. I mean Catholic with a serious dedication to their religion. Like super devout followers of Christ and the more than 10,000 Catholic saints. The first story I'm going to tell you is about Padre Pio. Born Francesco Forgioni in 1887, named after St. Francis... Francesco loved God so much that he claimed he had devoted himself to God by the age of five. Five. Do you have children? Imagine asking your five-year-old what they would devote the rest of their entire lives to. I'm guessing it's something like unicorns or dinosaurs or ice cream. Francesco tended to his family's small flock of sheep until he was the ripe old age of 10 when he heard a capuchin priest, which I was disappointed to find out has nothing to do with capuchin monkeys, asking for donations. Francesco told his parents he wanted to join the capuchin order, and his extremely accommodating parents took him to the nearest capuchin hangout, where he was told he needed more schooling. He was 10, so, like, fair. 
But after studying, becoming a capuchin novice, and taking a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience, Francesco became Padre Pio in 1910 at the age of 23. On September 20th, 1918, according to Padre Pio himself, while he was praying in front of a large crucifix, he had a vision of a person with bleeding hands and feet. When the vision passed, Padre Pio felt a pain in his hands, feet, and side, and realized he was bleeding from those spots. And this was not the first time Padre Pio was blessed with stigmata. In 1911, he claimed to have received stigmata in his hands and feet, but those wounds never bled and healed pretty quickly. And then in 1916, while taking the confession of a boy, he claimed he had a vision in which a figure hurled a spear at his side, tearing into his very soul. He said he cried out in agony and then told the boy that he had to stop taking his confession because he was ill. Can you imagine what it was like for the kid? He's like, forgive me, father. I spoiled my dinner because I ate too many gummy bears. And Pio's on the other side like, oh, God, the pain. Why have you forsaken me? Go home, kid. I'm too sick to go on. I guarantee you that kid never ate gummy bears again. Padre Pio had been having all kinds of visions and ecstasies ever since joining the Capuchin Order when he was 16. Some of his fellow priests claimed to have witnessed him levitate, heal people, perform miracles, and make prophecies. In fact, in 1912, Padre Pio predicted that he would receive the stigmata again, which of course he did, famously, in 1918. This time, though, the wounds supposedly never healed, and he said he experienced pain at least once a week. He had to wear black fingerless gloves or red mittens when giving sermons, and to be honest, the image of a priest preaching in red mittens is delightful. The blood that flowed from Padre Pio's wounds was rumored to smell like flowers, which is particularly disgusting. I mean, I suppose it's better than the smell of old blood, but if I were bleeding and it smelled like a bowl of potpourri, I'd hightail it to the doctor. In fact, it was a doctor that reported the perfumey scent of Padre Pio's blood. He kept a handkerchief with the Padre's blood on it locked in a cabinet in his office, which, I mean, live your life, but also gross. For a long time, visitors would ask what the scent was. I can only imagine he'd lie and be like, oh, that? Always candle scents from Glade, because saying, that's a bloody handkerchief I keep in my cabinet just cuz, probably wouldn't win him too many friends, you know? Other doctors who examined him claimed to not be able to explain his wounds. For one thing, the wounds never got infected. It was estimated he lost a cup of blood a day. Padre Pio claimed he absolutely hated being burdened with the marks of Christ's crucifixion. In a letter to a friend, he said he begged Jesus to take away the wounds because they were humiliating. The pain, though, he wanted to keep because God really likes it when people suffer for him. Or something. Rumors began to spread pretty quickly of the priest with the flower-scented bleeding wounds, and by 1920, masses of pilgrims flocked to his church to see the priest who bore the marks of Christ. Despite how humiliated Padre Pio said he was, he wasn't doing much to quell the growing cult around him. He had predicted once that he would rise to the very highest ranks within the church, 
I'm sure having a cult of thousands of followers made that prediction more likely to come true. But not everyone in the church was enthusiastic about Padre Pio's stigmata. In fact, there were those conducting a campaign to expose the Padre as a fraud. And they had some very compelling evidence. By 1920, while Padre Pio was busy being like, don't look at me, but also please keep looking at me, the Vatican was like, uh, we gotta get this jabroni under control pronto, and started digging up dirt about him. According to an article in The Independent, Pio's file included reported allegations that he, quote, scourged himself with a metal-tipped whip and had sex with women, quote, twice a week, which is oddly specific, don't you think? Like, twice a week as a rule? Like, in his day planner, it was like, Sunday, perform mass. Monday, do a lady. Tuesday, pick up dry cleaning. Wednesday, do a lady. More than anything, though, the most damaging information the Vatican found was that Padre Pio was buying carbolic acid on the down low from a nearby pharmacist. Like, sending secret notes that were like, Psst, hey, can you send me some carbolic acid, but be, like, super quiet about it? It's hard to come up with a justifiable reason a priest might need carbolic acid. Carbolic acid is an ingredient found in astringents and antiseptics. He claimed he needed it to sterilize needles, which is odd because that's not really its go-to use. Also, if that was his reason, why was he being all secretive about it? The Vatican was like, there you go. There's your proof. This guy's a fake. They sent a doctor to examine Pio's alleged stigmata. The doctor wrapped Pio's hands in bandages and was baffled to find a month later the wounds had not healed. But it's really not that baffling. It's not outside the realm of possibility that Pio was unwrapping his bandages to gouge at his wounds and then rewrapping them. The doctor expected this guy to keep bandages on his hands for a month? He couldn't wash his hands for a month? He was supposed to give people the Jesus wafers on Sunday with filthy, bandaged, filthy hands? Like, taking food from someone's openly wounded, bleeding hand is one thing, but, like, now they were supposed to be okay with blood-soaked, dirt-crusted bandages, too? Like, I get that you love Jesus, but I'm pretty sure he would want better for you. You know? turns out, one of the most common uses of carbolic acid at the time was to help prevent wounds from becoming infected. One medical paper I read from the late 1800s said that you can tell when someone has used a carbolic acid solution on their hands because of the sweet taste it leaves on the skin. I'm sorry, what? Was it normal in the 1800s for doctors to be like, Now I'm going to do the thing where I lick your hands to see what kinds of chemicals you may or may not be using. But if carbolic acid leaves behind a sweet taste, would it also happen to produce a sweet, flowery scent? If one were to, I don't know, use it on an open, bleeding wound, would it seem like the blood smelled like a bouquet of roses? Do I need to elaborate, or are we all on the same page here? Padre Pio predicted his stigmata would disappear once he died, and like a miracle, it did! Most likely because he wasn't alive to keep gouging himself. 
The church canonized Padre Pio in 2002, and then in 2011, the Vatican released all the evidence they had against him and his so-called stigmata, which is a weird mixed message. Then again, seeing as how they've treated other problematic priests throughout the years, I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. It might sound like Jesus prefers Capuchin priests, but actually, it seems Jesus chose priests from other sects of Catholicism to mark with the Holy Stigmata, too. Just after Christmas in 1991, Father Jim Bruce, a 36-year-old associate pastor at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Church in Lake Ridge, Virginia, developed small red welts on his wrists, feet, and on his side. The painful bleeding wounds seemed to come out of nowhere and healed, for the most part, pretty quickly. Though by March of the next year, according to a reporter of a piece in the Washington Post, Father Jim still experienced a lot of pain where the wounds had been, and small red scars on his wrist were still visible. Unlike Padre Pio, who was named after a saint who received stigmata, Father Jim didn't even know what stigmata was. I don't know how that's possible, frankly. It's like an actor not knowing about the play Hamlet. Like, sure, it's not integral to being an actor, but it's kind of an important part of the culture of acting, you know? Anyway, Father Jim's boss, Father Dan, told the Washington Post he saw Father Jim's bleeding wrist several times. One time, Father Dan was sure the blood, quote, was going to go all over the nice carpet in the rectory. It didn't, though. It just sort of hung there at the cleric's wrists. End quote. First of all, no one offered this guy a tissue or a Band-Aid. They just sat there worried about their rug. Also, wouldn't the blood of a miracle be a good thing to have on your nice carpet? Use it as a tourist attraction to raise money for the church? Father Dan brought an encyclopedia to Father Jim's quarters to help illuminate him on the phenomenon of stigmata. Father Jim wasn't in his room, so Father Dan went to leave the encyclopedia on his desk when he saw a statue of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton that he had given to Father Jim, weeping what appeared to be blood from her eyes. Father Dan naturally was like, nope, and backed out of the room. Once he was back in his own room, he sat down on his bed, taking deep breaths to try to recover from whatever the hell he had just seen happen to the statue in Jim's room. That's when he saw the statue of St. Mary that Father Jim had given him, weeping. Not blood, but presumably tears. Father Dan said she wept, quote, profusely, leaking down into the drawers themselves. I mean, a lot of tears, end quote. Mary, Father Dan claimed, cried that night and the next day, too. For months, wherever Father Jim went, Statues of any size would leak clear liquid from what looked like the corners of their eyes. Believers and skeptics alike admitted they examined some of the statues and found nothing mechanical that could explain the phenomenon. The Washington Post reporter witnessed one of the statues weeping himself, picked it up and found absolutely nothing in it or attached to it. I first thought that maybe since the statue was made of plaster, they had somehow soaked it ahead of time and put tiny holes in the corners of the statue's eyes, but I'm going to guess it wasn't raw plaster. Like, I'm sure it was painted and glazed. Maybe just the corners of the eyes weren't glazed, and that's why the water seeped out from there. But the statues that wept weren't just plaster. Some were wood or fiberglass or bronze. 
So, of course, the news about the weeping statues started to spread, bringing throngs of new followers to the church and reporters trying to get to the bottom of the crying statue mystery. This wasn't Father Jim's first brush with minor fame. In his early 20s, before he was Father Jim, Jim broke the world record for riding a roller coaster for five straight days at Old King's Dominion in Virginia. I guess one could argue that the roller coaster stunt was Jim's way of garnering attention, and so maybe his stigmata shtick was another attempt at notoriety. But have you ever heard of him before? If you saw Jim Bruce on the street, would you be like, hey, there's that guy who rode the roller coaster for 124 hours in a row? At a press conference the church held, Father Jim spoke for less than five minutes from a prepared statement and then sat down, staring straight ahead. When someone asked him if he would go to touch the Virgin Mary statue that had been put out on display for the media, he didn't even respond. It doesn't seem like this guy was a fame hound. Father Dan wasn't too thrilled about the constant visits from the media outlets. Everyone in the church kind of seemed like they just wanted the whole thing to go away. The Washington Post reporter asked him if he had any doubts as to the realness of the phenomenon. Doubt it, doubt it. You're asking me if I doubted it. Of course I doubted it in the beginning. Are you crazy? Holy smoke. Guy who works for me walks into my office and goes on about this whole thing, that he's got statues that are crying and so forth, that he has this funny bleeding and I'm sitting here right at this same desk looking at him listening to him and I'm saying to myself as he's talking and I'm listening to all this crap hey buddy if you think what you're telling me is true I'm not gonna have you as my assistant much longer you're wacko then like I say I saw some of the stuff he'd been talking about it's true it's all I can tell you it's true it's true And don't forget, Father Jim claims he didn't even know what stigmata was when he experienced it. Has the Catholic Church been known to bend some truths to cover its own butt? Sure. Could it be argued that all religions are based on stories that have clearly been embellished? Absolutely. And while St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Church did hold a press conference, it seems that was done less out of a hope to spread the word far and wide about a miracle of the weeping statues and the priest with stigmata, and more out of a desire to stop the media from just dropping in whenever they felt like it. Father Dan didn't exactly seem to be telling it on the mountain, you know? But what I want to know is, with all these media outlets there, no one ever got any footage or took any photos of one of these statues crying? Didn't occur to anyone that we might want, I don't know, evidence? In 2017, the Arlington Catholic Herald ran a short piece about a tiny parish in Arlington where Father Jim lives and is the pastor. There was not a single mention of Father Jim's stigmata or the statues that cried in his presence. It did feature a picture of Father Jim with his 24-pound cat, Turbo, so... Obviously, Father Jim is still trying to grab headlines. But it's not just Catholic priests who experience stigmata. As you're about to find out, lay people can experience stigmata too. I'll tell you about two regular people who claim to receive the marks of the crucifix. (laughs) 
1999, Fox aired a two-hour special called Signs from God, Science Tests Faith that featured footage of a woman supposedly receiving stigmata right there on camera. Australian journalist Mike Wolesi and his crew traveled to Bolivia to witness Catalina Rivas, a Bolivian housewife who claimed to get messages directly from Jesus, receive the marks of crucifixion in real time. Once they got there, however, they were disappointed to find out that Jesus told Catalina she wouldn't be getting the stigmata until a month later. In the Fox special over music that sounds like a bad Portishead cover band, Willessie says, We came all that way for nothing. Relax, dude. You literally got a paid vacation. Willessie and the crew returned a month later, and right on schedule, Catalina began to exhibit the signs of stigmata. The night before, with an entire camera crew in her home, she suddenly became withdrawn and introspective. Just like Jesus, Willessie tells us. Anyway, the next day, Catalina lies on a bed as the camera rolls, waiting for a miracle. And lo, does a miracle happen! Cartier's spiritual advisor, Father Renzo Cesalo, is by Cartier's side. He notices that her forehead has begun to bleed from tiny wounds, which would be consistent with the crown of thorns. If you believe that Willessie and the camera crew indeed stayed the entire time, never leaving the room, it is hard to explain how the wounds showed up on Catalina's hands, feet, and head. It does appear, in the Fox TV special anyway, that wounds appear out of nowhere and bleed. The next day, Willessie comes back to check on Catalina and the wounds have miraculously healed. Willessie was amazed! But what if the woman Willessie went to see the next day was Catalina's identical twin? Of course, that doesn't explain how the wounds seem to appear out of nowhere in front of a group of people. I don't know how she did it, but considering the special aired right around the time of Padre Pio's beatification, which was a pretty big deal in the world of Catholicism, it's not hard to wonder if everyone involved in the TV special was trying to capitalize on stigmata fever. The timing is just weird. Almost every person who reports receiving stigmata is Catholic. An article in a 2016 edition of the medical journal Medicine said the majority of stigmatics are Catholic women. In fact, it wasn't until 1972 that the first non-Catholic person came forward with their own case of stigmata. On March 13, 1972, in Oakland, California, Claretta Robinson saw a movie on TV about the Passion of Christ. That night, she had a vivid dream about the crucifixion. This wasn't so far out of the norm for Claretta. She frequently had biblical dreams. But this marked the beginning of an intensely religious time and a renewed passion for the crucifixion for Claretta. And then on March 17th, four days after seeing the movie about Jesus on the cross, Claretta's left palm began to spontaneously bleed. Claretta herself wasn't aware of it until her friend pointed it out. After getting her left hand bandaged up, her right hand began to bleed out of nowhere, followed by both of her feet and then her right side of her abdomen and her forehead. A doctor at West Oakland Health Center washed the blood off Claretta's palms and found nothing on Claretta's hands that could explain the bleeding. Even under a microscope, she saw no marks or wounds. Shortly after she began to bleed 
from both her feet, the right side of her abdomen, and her forehead. Like Father Jim, Claretta had never heard of stigmata before it happened to her. And while it's somewhat hard to believe that Father Jim, a Catholic priest, had never heard of stigmata, it's easier to believe Claretta had him. She was a Baptist, not Catholic. Stigmata is not a regular part of the Baptist doctrine. And she certainly wasn't a priest. Claretta Robinson was only 10 years old. For almost three weeks, Claretta endured spontaneous bleeding up to five times a day. She said it didn't hurt. She would just look down at her hands and realize she was bleeding again. On the 19th straight day of bleeding, Claretta said she bled from all six spots on her body all at once. Doctors ended up diagnosing Claretta with hemorrhotidrosis, which is random and spontaneous bleeding, usually associated with an extremely stressful trigger. Her parents said nothing particularly stressful had happened to Claretta that might have explained the diagnosis, although I'd think that even a religious child who knows generally about Jesus dying on the cross might be pretty traumatized by seeing the crucifixion played out like it had been in whatever movie Claretta had watched. I don't know what the movie was that triggered her, but any way you slice it, watching someone get beaten and then have nails driven into their flesh and be left to die on a cross on a hilltop, even if it is make-believe, is pretty fucking gnarly. Like, I know Jaws isn't real, but try getting me out on the open ocean, you know? And even if her bleeding was psychologically manufactured, she did actually bleed. Like, doctors verified it. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, that is one intensely strong mind that can will itself to bleed in the same place as Jesus supposedly did. Calling it a miracle is easier than confronting the notion that our minds are so powerful we can spontaneously burst into bleeding fits. The following year at Easter, Claretta's church watched her closely, but no dice. Claretta Robinson never experienced stigmata after that 19-day stint in 1972. So what is it? What is it that causes people, almost exclusively Catholics, to spontaneously bleed from the spots Jesus supposedly bled from on the cross? In 1935, Dr. Edward Frederick Hartung, a rheumatologist at NYU, said he thought St. Francis of Assisi probably had malaria. Basically, there's a type of malaria that causes symmetrical, bluish bruises, usually on the hands and feet. If you've ever had a blood blister, I think it's kind of like that. I guess it's possible to break the skin and allow the blood out, but this explanation seems iffy to me, though Jesus knows I'm no rheumatologist. Others believe that most stigmatics suffer from psychological conditions and are heavily influenced by religious imagery. The general idea of this is they harm themselves, usually unconsciously, only becoming aware of their wounds once they're bleeding. And why is it that most stigmatics still report bleeding from their palms, even though we know that the nails went through Jesus' wrists, not his hands? If stigmata is real, wouldn't St. Francis and Padre Pio have experienced bleeding from their wrists? Even if the macabre descriptions of Jesus on the cross tend to show the nails through his palms, wouldn't Jesus himself, when inflicting devout followers with his wounds, make sure the wounds were in the right place? Whether or not Jesus really inflicts people with the wounds he suffered when he was put to death 
ultimately is one of life's unknowables. To believe he does requires faith. And personally, as someone who has very little faith in anything, the idea of believing in something so much that it could inspire you to gouge out your own skin till you bleed is kind of beautiful. Whether or not that's a faith in Jesus or a faith in getting famous, who cares? Let your faith carry you forth. Just maybe lay off the self-harm. Strangers, spooky season is upon us, and so we thought, as a spooky treat, we'd make a few bonus episodes for the season. So, starting next week, for the next five weeks, you're getting two episodes of Strange and Unexplained, a Monday episode and the regular Thursday episode. So get excited, strangers, and we'll see you next week. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me and researched by Jess McKillop. Our voice actor for this episode was Luther Creek. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. 